Good day, everybody. We're going to start today off with the Time Traveler's introduction. Get right to it. Try to keep this podcast a little bit shorter. Got some comments that uh, people would like to have a little bit more condensed podcast, especially compared to the first one that was something like two hours. And just uh, I'll take this opportunity to say that I'm going to start doing a lot more interpersonal podcasts since I've found that this Anchor software, by the way, Anchor, great, uh, great tool. Really, uh, really think that for an amateur podcaster such as myself or some other people out there who are listening to this, it's a good tool to really quickly get some recordings out there. Um, Don't wait. Don't wait to get set up with all the perfect gear to start getting your voice out there. Just start practicing. By the time you get yourself set up and you get good equipment, you'll have worked out some kinks. You'll start to discover your style. Uh, so I highly recommend just jumping out there and trying it. And heck, even if you want to just put out short stories and poems, do one and, and share it with me. I'd love to, to hear any creative thoughts out there. So let's start with our, our safety minute. Uh, the safety minute today is going to be airing out your house. It's summertime. A lot of us have air conditioners on when it's very hot. And if you were anything like I used to be, I used to be an AC hog. I mean, I would sit down uh, and I would sit down right with my face getting the full blast of a 15,000 BTU um, air conditioner. While sitting down playing Diablo 2 in my my mom's uh, condo way back when. And I would just sit there freezing. And and, and, because of me, because I loved it so much, my mom just left it on. And and I got, you know, AC all the time. My sisters must have hated it. But thank you, everybody. I, I, I loved it. But, you know, if you don't open your windows enough, and I'm sure we did back then. But if you don't open your windows enough during those times overnight or, or, or just you know on a somewhat breezy day to, to, to get the air out things stagnate uh, there's different gases and whatnot that can build up uh, radioactive gases in basements in certain areas too so it's always good to get that tested and and understand uh, you know the different risks of any neighborhood you you move into FYI <laughs> I moved into a place that pretty much has bricks for soil so I can grow dandelions and that's about it it's just you know do a little bit of research before you move to a place uh all, all, all you uh uh first time home buyers out there but going back to the original thought open some windows clear out the air and you're gonna see uh, you'll sleep a lot better the air will be fresher you can you can feel the difference in the air so please air out your houses so i'd like to simplify the book we're going to review today, which is The Art of Peace by Morahei Ueshiba. He was a martial artist. He was the founder of the martial art called Aikido. So I'll be presenting some passages from the book and we'll dive into some of those topics that we see along the way. And as I was saying before, today I'm going to be doing some self-reflection and discussion, but I'm also going to start interviewing people. I'm going to start interviewing regular people, and hopefully you'll get to see that these regular people aren't so regular after all. We're all 
special in our own ways. So I'll be talking to uh, people that I know, people of my town, people of uh, hopefully my neighborhood, and uh, start to, to, to bring them and their stories to you, and we can have excellent discussions. And uh, anybody who ever wants to reach out and you know, start, start building a network, start building a community, uh, as I'll talk about in the show. Uh, any programmers out there who uh, have, have some good skills and talents and time in their hands, please, uh, let's talk. Now prepare yourself for a deep dive with Derek. <laughs> We're all walking our own paths. Our history shows what we've done in our life, the choices we've made, whether we have the free will to make the decisions or everything's already laid out for us. We have been on a path. There are paths we could have followed, many decisions we can make. You can be on a path to becoming a parent. You can be on a path to becoming a CEO. You can be on a path of enlightenment, whatever whatever it is. We all walk paths in life. And part of the frustrating part of life is knowing what path you should be on to fulfill your own passions and desires or to live up to the expectations of someone else that you admire or an ideal that you want to adhere to. So there are paths that we can walk and it feels as if there's a multitude of choices. And I, I really can't stress enough how the illusion of choice can be a negative thing. Somebody comes up to you and says, do you want to eat Chinese food or do you want to have Italian food? Okay, you have two things to think about. You choose one, you choose the other. But when you start subdividing it into an almost infinite amount of choices, which equate to almost the same thing, it becomes overwhelming to know what choice we should make, how we should move forward, and how each of our micro decisions could lead or lead us astray from the path that we're trying to walk. Now, that's a perfect tie-in for the subject of today's podcast, which is the art of peace. Um, I've been reading it, and I'd like to delve into certain topics and inspirations I had while reading it. And hopefully we can deep dive and gain some sort of understanding as to what one path forward might be. I feel that the way of the warrior, the way of the path as described in the book is quite simplistic in some sense. It's described as being almost one path forward. And if you think about it, there are a multitude more of destructive paths or non-constructive paths that we can take compared to the one or few different outcomes that can lead us towards a specific goal or construct. I mean, they say Rome wasn't built in a day, and there's a reason they say that. It's because it takes a lot of thought, a lot of structure, a lot of rules, a lot of order, a lot of checks and verifications to be able to build something very specific. Now, if you want to build a sandcastle and you don't care about what it looks like, yeah, it's very easy. You can... You know, maybe create a quick moat, throw some sand and water together, kick it in there and try to cup it with your hands and you'll have a sandcastle. But if you want to build a sandcastle with a very specific set of, of rules or guidelines, it becomes 
infinitely more difficult. If you want to build a castle with a specific height that can retain a certain amount of water, that can have X rooms and this many towers and the sunlight enters from a specific way, well, you have to think about it. You have to plan it. You have to take into consideration the stability of, of the soil, the tides, how far you are, you are, are where, away from it. And finally, you have to construct it. So you have to know how to mix the sand, how to mix the water, in what ways uh, do you have to let it set. There's procedures to follow to be able to build it properly, to be able to build it up to a certain specification. That's very akin to walking a path. Walking a path and trying to become a certain person, trying to achieve certain things out of life, to live by guiding principles. It requires the same type of planning and the same type of surgical precision to make sure you get where it is you want to go. I feel the book presents its topics more in a generalistic way, showing you the commonality between any path that you might choose to walk that could lead to becoming what I can only define as being a better person or being a morally sound character-based person. And the teachings seem to say that this is the way that you can have more stability and more meaning out of your life. Now let's chat a little bit about some of the key topics of the book. It starts by saying that we're not so advanced that we know better than wisdom that has been passed down to us from generation to generation, ancient wisdom. It's very interesting they, they start off with the, this notion of venerable traditions garbed in new clothes. The book starts off by saying that this isn't a special message. It's a message that we've passed down from generation to generation. Different people have said... Um, you know, back in, in in ancient Japanese times, this was, you know, the way of the warrior. This was what was taught in terms of ethics and right and wrong. We have 2,000 years ago, same thing being taught by people like Jesus, by Socrates, uh, you know, every, anybody you can think of in terms of right way to live a life. And we have mentors like this throughout time. Um this has been shown in politics, it's been shown in entertainment, it's been shown in every single facet of, of human existence and creation and culture. Nowadays, if you go on YouTube, uh, if you weed through the the BS and garbage and the people just trying to almost kind of trick you into giving you their money or subscription, we have the Mel Robbins, the Tony Robbins, we have the motivational speakers, fearless motivation, a, a ton of things out there trying to tell you some sort of message along these lines. Now, this doesn't just transcend time, as I said. It, it shows up in different aspects of our lives. We have uh, people that we know and have talked to and have recorded throughout history that can give us uh, different perspectives, that can show us the same way in a different light. We have books, 
like I just said before, the you know the Bible, the Quran, the Torah, different Greek philosophy and great writings of great minds throughout time. And also TV shows. I, I mean, I, I think about an example of, of this. Um, we, we see shows depicting different time periods where things haven't really changed. And that could just be the magic of, of Hollywood. But take a look at a show like Peaky Blinders and a show like Rome. Two excellent shows, by the way, that I highly recommend. You're going to have to get over... I'm going to call it gore and violence and uh, things which are completely human and natural, but um, depict the worst side of humanity. It's essentially the same show. Peaky Blinders in Rome comes down to the same show. It comes down to soldiers who are left with nothing to do after war, who have either had their family and business completely devastated by the fact that they were away, um, or they just have to try to find a way to work in a world which is set up for the super elite. And it's the same thing in Rome with Caesar and in Peaky Blinders with, uh, you know, I'm not going to say Winston Churchill necessarily, but other other prominent people that, that they have to deal with. Essentially, you're living in... Birmingham in the time in the 1920s uh, the only real way is to make a lot of money or to make I mean I say a lot of money just to be able to have your family survive is to either work yourself to the bone or bend the rules and try to find a way to look out for yourself and the people around you so we see there that a lot of the same notions that we see nowadays were covered in the past into great detail. And I think it's very important to start digging up these lessons of the past, um, realizing that philosophy, ethics, anything psychological, although it can evolve, um, it can also be greatly lost over time based on cultural identities, based on uh, events that happen in the world, world wars, information is lost, people change their minds. It's, it's not science. You figure that what we thought about the atom in the year 500 BC is less advanced than what we thought about it, you know, 500 AD and what we thought about it in 1920 and thought about it in 1999 and what we're thinking about it today as our models ever evolve. It makes sense for science, but when we're talking about the social sciences. Although we do learn from the past, we keep creating the same mistakes over and over again. And I think that's why the focus of history, uh, when it comes to character ethics when it comes to more existential questions i mean who whose opinion do you want to believe about uh, how colors can affect your psychology somebody who read textbooks for for 15 years and talked to people or ancient wisdom of people who used to sit down for hours a day and do absolutely nothing but question these things and dedicate themselves to it because that's all you have to do. You weren't trying to do it for a job to make money. 
you probably had a farm and, uh, you know, some of your excess time, you'd sit down and question these kind of things, you know. How does blue make me feel? When I see red, do I eat more, you know? Yes, we think about those things nowadays, but the human mind, at least as far as I understand it, hasn't evolved that much within the past 2,000 years. And although it's important for us to reflect on our own history as well as the history of the billions of people who have come before us and will come after, the book brings up a point saying that heaven is right where you are standing and that is the place to train. Meaning our mental mind, our spiritual mind can wander, but our physical body is tied to one location. You know, and that and that heaven is really a state of being. Heaven isn't necessarily a big cloud with uh, you know, a white-robed old man wearing sandal shoes, uh, ping-pong tables, unlimited chocolate milk fountains, puppies, and as far as you can see, you know it. It's a state of being. It's being in harmony and being in a state of. Zen, being in a state of awareness. The Art of Peace goes on to say that the past, present, and future are all contained in the life force. And that's, to me, an obvious statement, although be it a very important one to remember. Irregardless, the fact that heaven is where you are standing and that's where you should train is a reminder that we can, at every single moment of our day, of our existence, train. Waiting for something to heat up in the microwave, and you start doing some squats, or start doing some balance exercises. Uh, you're brushing your teeth, and you practice your posture. Um, you know, while you're in, in the bathroom, you're practicing your elocution in the mirror while doing something else. So really, the moment to train, the moment to do something is in the very moment itself. When you have the feeling of learning of training and you, oh, okay, no, I'll put that off to another time. Sure. But you're in the mood to train right then. You, you we're wired to want to learn and train. So we have to capitalize on that more. That's an essential point of the art of peace is don't wait to do it. Start doing, start experiencing that potential memory that you have, that life force, while being guided by your actual memory. And try and learn while aiming towards a certain, a certain goal. The end of the path. And while talking about the path, it often talks about one source. It talks about there being one source tying us all together. All things material and spiritual originate from one source and are related as if they were one family. The past, present, and future are all contained in the life force. The universe emerged and developed from one source and we evolved through the optimal process of unification and harmonization. The art of peace is medicine for a sick world. 
There is evil and disorder in the world because people have forgotten that all things emanate from one source. Return to that source and leave behind all self-centered thoughts, petty desires, and anger. Those who are possessed by nothing possess everything. That was an excerpt from the book. As far as I'm aware, there's no physical model of the universe that predicts everything comes from one single source. At every level of nature, nothing seems seems to be singular. There always seems to be different types of subatomic particles or forces that all have their own properties, work in their own ways, and more often than not, and maybe even always, things end up having some sort of symmetry, right? There's multiple variations, maybe even of the same things, different spins, uh, different states of, be of, of being, of, of order, of information, and they happen to have some sort of mathematical symmetry, not just one single source. Perhaps the very essence of goodness could emanate from one single source. And maybe that's what they're trying to allude to in the book. But the scientist in me sees that and just starts automatically jumping towards physical models of the universe and subatomic particles. Now let's move away from the one source and the symmetry to talk a little bit more about some of the fundamentals of the art of peace. In the art of peace, they talk about defeating contention, that there's no contest, and if you injure an opponent, you're essentially injuring yourself. The basic action-reaction, such as Newton's third law. And although it might seem like a selfish way to think about it, it's fundamentally true that if you hurt somebody, you're hurting yourself, you're hurting your image of yourself in your mind, you know that you've done those actions and whether or not you believe they're justified, you're taking the good with the bad. Uh, again, it's a concept I'm going to frequently bring up is the fact that you, you can have good and bad at the same time. You know, you can gain and lose, right? Your balance sheet, although it might be a net positive or net negative, you're taking, you have gains and you have expenditures like anything in life. Although an expenditure at a certain point can be not just a loss of money, but it can be the gain of something else you don't want. Give you an example in mining. Well, the more the more you mine, the more you dig out. Well, you're going to get more gold, more gems, more iron, more diamonds, everything. But at the same time, you're going to get a lot more gang. You're going to get a lot more tails and waste that you have to deal with, Right? So any action you take, there's always going to be a, a consequence, something else. Like we said, there's variance, there's variations of things that exist. So you're not just going to get one. You're not going to just dip into that sole source necessarily. You're going to dip into different things. So if you start harnessing other energies, other tools at your disposal to hurt somebody, Instead of trying to just deal with the situation, if you're acting out of, uh, you know, your future defenses, if you're acting out of an ideology of retribution, 
then that's just going to beget other feelings of retribution and other forces inside yourself that you know how to have to deal with. And it's very noble of us to think that we can just take on all the evil of the world within ourselves and that we'll carry the burden as if we're, you know, the strongest emotional beings to ever have existed in the 20 billion people or however many people have ever existed on the planet Earth. It's a nice sentiment. It's a good intention. But, you know, wielding certain powers that are easy to fall into temptation with can be a dangerous game, right? So instead, if you try to find another path around that, right, wait for the action to give your reaction and adapt what you're going to do in consequence, then, at least according to the Art of Peace, you're living the path of the warrior, the way of the warrior. Now, of course, I feel that when we talk about something like this, I often get a response in the nature of, oh, yeah, well, you know, uh, you're, you're going to shoot somebody if they come into your house and, and threaten your family. Well, of course, if you have to take a life to defend a life, and it comes to that, in that chance, in that situation, then, of course, you deal with whatever consequence it might have on your mortal or immortal soul because you love someone else and you're willing to take the chance, to take the risk, to take the blemish on yourself and hopefully one day try to atone for it. You're willing to do that because you value that other person's life. That's self-sacrifice. And I think that's beautiful. Uh, of course, it's not beautiful in the sense of the example giving uh, giving before, but just the very idea of it is beautiful. And of course, the more we learn, the more wisdom that we have in our lives, the more tools we're going to have at our disposal to try and remedy the problems we come up to. You know, butting heads with somebody at work or uh, having trouble with a contractor who's doing work at your house and you, your feelings if they're going to start ripping you off. And so how do you approach that? Are, are, are you approaching it like you're trying to, to win or are you approaching it in the sense of understanding the situation, understanding all aspects of what's happening? To be able to best move forward from the actual state that you're in instead of the state that you think you might be in or you fear you might go into. So you're trying to avoid a potential future instead of trying to build with what you have, with your memory and your experience. And they touch on that in the, in the Art of Peace. They talk about how a warrior must use all elements of heaven and earth or earth and heaven, sorry. And what's that? Well, earth is the tools that you have at your disposal. Uh, physical tools and abilities, things you can do. Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say people are tools, but at a, at a certain point, well, <laughs> you know, a person who helps you out is, you know, acting as a tool. You're acting as a tool. You're giving a service. You're, you're useful. You're doing work. You know, just like a machine would do work, you know, uh, 
And there's obviously electronic tools, mechanical tools. But there's also heaven. Heaven being, I read it as, tactics, knowledge, procedures, listening, strategies, reflection. Here, heaven and earth are akin to mind and body, or the physical and the potential. The art of peace preaches that you should train your body. And by training your body, your mind will mirror it. And thus the resilience and the peace of the body, the way your physical actions can yield to the flow of our environment, the mind will learn from what the body does. We can't just practice something mentally. We have to try something physically as well. So as we talked about before, different variations, different viewpoints can help lead to a common solution, a common realization, enlightenment. So sometimes you have to do activities that will help you learn 5% towards what it is you want to achieve. You know, it might just be... My, a certain task might give you a little bit more visual acuity or something might help you with your aim. Not fully, but you know, even typing on a keyboard somewhat, you have to know where to put your fingers. So certain activities can help you practice skills in a different way to be able to realize or achieve a specific goal. In this case, being in the mindset of one who walks the path the way of the warrior. So to mentally walk the path of the warrior, we must also physically walk the path of the warrior. And of course, often people think of warriors as being fierce, which they must be. They have to be resilient. But a warrior does not necessarily mean violence, does not mean aggressive, right? A warrior is just one who defends what they believe in and what they want to protect, what they place value on or what intrinsically has value associated with it. All right, let's come up for some air and get ready to dive back in. So the Art of Peace talks about returning to the source, this kind of basis upon which our souls, our brains, our bodies, and everything is, is based upon. It also talks about connecting to our energy rather than our physical body. So here we're, we're thinking about that duality of nature. How things exist both as energy and at the same time as matter. So matter, any molecule, has its own wave function, theoretically. Right? So, assuming there is some sort of source, there's a matrix upon which the universe is constructed... Right? Like a DOS operating system or uh, Unreal uh, um, engines for video games. Maybe there is some sort of social or living network matrix that we're all part of. I think we definitely are, right? But we also exist as one. Again, duality. We exist as something physical, something 
known and quantized. I'm Derek. I'm six foot two. I you know, weigh so many pounds. <laughs> um, so we all have these characteristics. But again, uh, how I, I might reflect uh, upon my friends is completely different. So what everybody remembers of me through their life and who I am is their perception of me. It's the times they happen to spend with me. It's the times I helped them out or I didn't help them out. Uh, it's all the times I, I gave them a word of advice. It's the things I've done, uh, the times I've taken advantages of friends, the times when I've been there to support a friend at the hardest times of their life. The stupid things that I say that I don't even remember that I say, but to them it means something, right? And vice versa, the, the same for them to me. So we exist not only as one, but we exist as part of one, right? Society or life or whatever source you want to call it. But that independence, that ego, right, can also get in the way of achieving harmony with the network, with the matrix, with the world, right? I, I equated a lot to um, seven habits of highly effective people, where the, the idea of your personal growth in terms of a character-based life, uh, you grow from being a dependent to an independent to an interdependent. And it's the same kind of philosophy we see with um, health and safety. The Heinrich Pyramid shows the growth from dependence to interdependence in that a well-evolved company will be proactive in maintaining the health and safety of their employees, not just reactive when something happens. And to overcome that, well, you have a certain, um, you can kind of get the idea of a certain number of uh, near misses uh, and observations at the bottom of the pyramid. So you observe uh, uh, and something that could lead to an accident. You uh, almost uh, spill hot coffee on yourself while walking down the stairs or trip over sh uh, shoes, not trip over shoes, but almost trip over shoes while going down your stairs. Well, that's a near miss and many of those happen, right? And then you have a smaller number of minor accidents and then a smaller number of major accidents, right? And by focusing on, on the base, on the foundation, right? By being vigilant for the simple, you're able to reduce the risk and the frequency and the intensity of the peak of the pyramid. But getting back to seven habits, right? It's the same thing. It's Okay, you're a, you're a baby, you're young, whether it be physically or mentally. You're, you're a baby, you're taking care of, you're dependent, right? You're dependent on other people to feed you your character, to feed you what, you, what it is you need to, to survive. Then you go to being independent, you have to take care of yourself, and you have to make sure that you and things that you are taking care of and you are responsible for, you and your outer you, your responsible you, right? That's your, your independence, then there's the interdependence, which is something that is, is I'm not going to say rare to get to, but it's, it's a hard struggle to try to find that interdependence of really looking for win-win scenarios, for putting the other person's perspective into the equation to try to see the bigger picture. Because maybe in the end, you actually believe in the other person's goals and dreams more than your own. And you would like to help them out because that actually would be a bigger win for you after some self-reflection and discussion, right? And that state of interdependence, I believe that's what they're getting at in 
the art of peace, right? It's the base, it's the matrix, it's that which binds us all together. It's, it's us working in unity as a machine, right? And if I'm helping, then I'm being helped. If you really want help, you have to give it to yourself, to others, right? But you have to get into that, that mode. And, and when you feel as if you're being helped by somebody, that somebody is giving you that help, right? You're kind of influencing you and pushing on you within this, this matrix of the source. Pay it forward. You know, that's a, an, an old movie, which I don't know if I fully appreciated when I was younger, but it is a beautiful notion of every time you're given given to, sorry, well, then you give back in some way, right? You take that energy and you give back, pay it forward. And I don't care if you pay it forwardly selfishly on yourself to help yourself out, because if you're helping yourself, you'll be in a better position to help other people out as well. Of course, in context of, you know, trying to be objective about the, the, this, the whole situation. I really wish that somebody would create an app like that or a website where you could have volunteership. People would feel more like they're part of their community. You can raise your hand almost like on a Zoom app and say, hey, you know, I have a couple hours free. Anybody need me to mow their lawn? Anybody need me to help them with some gravel in their backyard or anything? Anybody need help? You know what I mean? You can't make it to the, to the groceries today and you, you need some help for me to you know pick some stuff up for you because I'm already going anyway. I've got a big SUV. I can pick up a couple extra things for people. Give me your grocery list. You know, it might be a little bit more inconvenient for me, but I'm, I'm looking for something to do, right? <laughs> and helping others definitely makes us feel good. It feels good when you actually feel as if you made an impact on somebody, right? And even if they don't fully show it back to you in their expressions, ah, it has an impact. Anyway, if somebody of, of the five viewers I have <laughs> want to uh, are excellent at programming and, and everything and uh, have the passion, please uh, start it up. Give me a call. I'd love to take part in this kind of endeavor, any kind of endeavor uh, of that nature. Um, I love the idea of starting a commune and having everybody living together and singing Kumbaya and growing, you know, their own plants and everything. But unfortunately, every single time I take a look at communes that have started up, it gets very um, hierarchical. It's very cult-like sometimes too. And just that notion of it kind of makes the whole idea a tough sell, right? But even if we don't create a commune, a physical commune, I think with the internet nowadays, we can feel connected in some sense together. So why not start the conversation? Why not start more small clusters and groups of people talking to each other, forming kind of a strong bond, getting on Zoom meetings, people you don't know, people you might mesh well with, right? Um, start conversations, have more random, random chats, right? And in the end, people talking to people can only lead to ideas, questions, and hopefully solutions, right? And it, it just really all comes down to how we, we operate when talking to each other and to talk well, we have to be at least receptive <laughs> to each other.
right? And maybe that's the thing. I know that, you know, brains and brain waves and the electrical energy in our brains work in different ways that put us in almost different phases, different states. I am in the state of anger. I am in the state of sadness. I'm in the state of exuberation, uh, anything, right? So if we really want to hear somebody, we really have to be A, receptive, and B, have the language to understand them, right? By... um tuning ourselves to them by understanding their expressions, understanding their tones. And that only comes with practice, right? So if we don't start the conversations and just power through the awkwardness at the beginning of, of trying to build towards something and the arguments are going to break out, then nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to get better in life. Of course it will with time. I mean, yes, of course, <laughs> maybe over, you know, 50 generations of evolution, it can happen. But the nice thing about us as human beings is we're not limited by the laws of nature to a certain degree. We know we know what's right and wrong. We know what we want to do. So we can just do it. I do believe in free will. I don't believe in determinism because I'm determined not to believe in determinism. I'm determined to believe in free will. There you go. Uh, I'm determined to be ignorant. So be it, you know, if that is the case. Uh, I would rather imagine I'm living in a world, we're all living in a world where we um, can actually evoke change, especially in ourselves, with our will. So how do we... Or what holds us together? Well, in the Art of Peace, they talk about eight main forces. Movement, stillness, solidification and fluidity, extension and contraction, and unification and division. So what are these in our, in our lives, right? Movement and stillness is almost... Our dreams, our plans, our schemes, the ability to take action or the ability to wait and evaluate. Solidification and fluidity, right? Are, are, do we have a rigid ideology or a flexible ideology? Beliefs. Do we learn? Or do we not learn? Do we keep status quo or grow? Challenge ideas and, and, and thoughts. Extension and contraction, physically in, in, in your day-to-day -day life, but also in terms of your focus. Are you overextending? Are you trying to look at everything at the same time? Are you focusing? I find myself often, and, and this I think ties into awareness, I often don't focus enough on the little things around me. Just right now, looking at the table in front of me, I see that there's a pair of scissors. There's a harmonica, two harmonicas actually, a couple of dry erase markers. If I, I, there's a small dart. If I pick it up, it's a small magnetic dart. You know, it has five, six, seven, eight ridges in it. Uh, it, it, it looks cheaply made, but it's rigid enough. Now, I, I don't think about that on a day-to-day -day basis. And, of course, it, nobody can, or <laughs> if you can, chapeau to you. Um, I don't think anybody can really take everything in in a room at a, at a time, unless you're Jason Bourne, you know? And even then, he's, he's probably an AI sent back in time. But anyway, let's not get into that one. Um, but still, how are we uh, focusing? Are we taking a look at things enough? The things that we really care about, the things that we love. 
or sometimes we not look at them because we have certain fears of loss and fears of uh, disillusionment, you know, or, or feelings of being an imposter. So we don't want to take a look at pride. We don't want to take a look at the, the things we're doing well for fear of inflating, inflating our ego. When in a sense, inflating our ego is only if we have ill intent, right? If you did well and you feel good for, for doing something good to somebody, you should enjoy that and, and continue it, right? And if you're, doing, if you're doing something bad, you'll feel bad about it, right? Yeah, again, unfortunately for me, a lot of my examples are about food because that's one of my big cruxes in life. But let's say you eat something and it gives you a lot of pleasure. Well, the next day you wake up, you, you know, feel as feel really disappointed in yourself that you gave in to eating, you know, whatever it is you ate the night before. And it feels five times worse than the momentary pleasure of what you did the night before. So in the end, there's a net negative. And when you start thinking about things temporally, well, the net effect on Derek is negative. Now, there, there's a chance that in the end, that decision will lead me down a path which forces me to face difficult times and difficult decisions and overcome them and grow stronger. And it was necessary. Sure, fine. I get that. But that doesn't mean you can just let these things happen uh, hoping that uh, you know being derailed will lead to getting yourself re-railed somewhere else. And I, will Smith says it much better than me, and I'll, I'll post a video on my uh, on my Instagram, or if you can, I don't know. I'll post a link somehow on my Instagram. Uh, I, I'm ashamedly very green at uh, uh, using these social media, <laughs> this social media, <laughs> these social media tools. Um, but yeah, he, he essentially talks about discipline, how we view discipline as being a bad thing. Discipline is punishment, right? And, and, uh, punishment can be an effective method, right? Um, but there's, depends on just the, I guess the intent as well and, and the methods and the schemes being used, but discipline is, is necessary, right? Discipline is resistance and resistance is what gives energy. It's what builds energy and, and transforms energy so anyway yeah I'll, I'll post that will smith video uh it's on youtube it's very uh, very inspiring uh, it's all about discipline really uh touched my heart essentially if we know ourselves enough to overcome the anti-forces the forces working against us right and those things that we want to do but know we shouldn't if we resist those it gives us momentum it gives us inertia You know, these, these forces can be, uh, any of these eight forces used in the wrong way can be devastating. And it's like anything in life, right? Uh, everything is just a tool for our wills. It's a construct that we've made or has been made for us that we can use to do something. Humans are, are tool users and skills and, and schemes and tactics and uh, abilities are all tools we can use, mental tools to solve a problem. But used in the wrong way can act against us. Fluidity, for example, when we really need to have conviction in, in, in a moment. Our conviction is being tested. Our beliefs are being tested. Or our, our character is being tested. 
extension, as we talked about before, if we really need to focus on something and we're too extended, we're over uh, overextended. You know, if, if you're doing too much at the same time, especially when one part of your life is screaming for attention and you're just putting it everywhere and not focusing your, your physical and mental energy on the right thing can be a, a force against you. Unification, right? When creativity is required. Objectivity is great, but sometimes to be truly creative, you have to... Um, be flexible in the way you think to test things, right? And and that's essentially what it comes down to is, or my take from the art of peace is train the mind and then test the mind. And a testing is kind of training too, but it's more on the job training, right? So a warrior must, and the art of peace says this, and if I said the art of war at any time before this, I've always been talking about the art of peace. If I did that slip of the tongue, uh, my apologies. But the warrior has to walk the path. The war you must do. You can't just think. You know, like, like the underground man, you have to be the man of action, right? Not just be the idea man that's always thinking. At a certain point, it's good to think. Then you have to put that into action somehow. And that can be a million different ways of expressing your creativity and your abilities. But you have to find a way to practice, to practice interdependence, to practice, you know, to practice and make mistakes relying on people, even though you think people might not be reliable, reliable or trustworthy. But it also talks about, so not just walking the path and actually walking the walk and, and putting the work in and, and doing what needs to be done and, and, and trying things and experiencing and experimenting, but there's also the idea of seclusion, right? Uh, duality always, right? Yin-yang, duality, uh, uh, matter, antimatter, everything. <laughs> Symmetry. The, the art of peace talks about being secluded from all external sources, right? And meditation, needing time alone to reflect, to, to really be in your own world. And it suggests that the principles are, are all inside of us, right? It's innate knowledge that's birthed inside of our our DNA, if you will. And when you breathe and breathe out, breathe in, breathe out, you're connecting. It's actually a really good mind-body connection. That's why it's the, the center of yoga is breathing. It's, it's important, right? For a mind-body connection, for you know, mentally focusing on something that you're almost, in my opinion, the most basic thing that your will can, can control in your body is your breath most simple routine thing that you sometimes are aware of and other times are not maybe blinking too but that's not that base it's it's yes it's important your eyes will dry out and, and whatnot but breathing is as much of a fuel as water or food right and we don't often take that into account and a byproduct is co2 i wouldn't be surprised if we release more co2 than we poop i and maybe this is a dated article, but I have read before that when you lose weight, you lose weight through CO2 emission. That could be partially true, not quite true. I, I don't know. I definitely should uh, read it up. I, I fully encourage you to take a look at it too. But regardless, it's a byproduct and, and it shows how important oxygen is to us. So, of course, that there there is something to, you know, connecting uh, to your your mood, your state of consciousness through 
oxygen. I, I think it's, it's a Jungian philosophy as well in terms of uh, breathing. It's essentially holotropic breathing, breathing to change your mental state, right? Your alpha, beta, gamma, delta, uh, theta, well, waves that our, our brain have, that depending on the mood, the state we're in, or how tired we are, how much melatonin we release, right? It's all chemically, uh, chemically balanced in our brain. And breathing can help calm the heart, calm the body, help uh, different states, help get you excited. Essentially, I find every time I do yoga and I don't breathe beforehand, I don't do a very good class. I don't go that far. I don't work out as long. I tend to, to slack when I'm at home anyway, right? And when I breathe, well, then I get I get the body started. I get the mind started. I'm 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 awakening, right? It, it's 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 quite different, and it's something that we all often don't do enough during the day, especially the way that we're sitting at our computers. Uh, those of us that sit at computers, we're often not breathing properly. We don't have good posture. Um, we're on the go. We constantly are checking our emails. Uh, we we don't we don't stop to think about breathing, right? And this is where I think imagination comes comes into it. In the art of peace, they talk about when you breathe in, you soar to the end of the universe. And then when you breathe out, you bring the cosmos back, right? The breath of life, uh, the earth and your physical environment uh, expanding to the macro scale and coming back into the micro scale, right? And it might seem new agey. I, I, I hate that term. Because for me, it paints a brush of anything that is wanting to push the boundaries of what we can be in terms of our soul, our self, our, our ethics, our character, our consciousness. And I don't like to, to, you know, bar off anything. Obviously, there's people who will sell you hokum, people who are sna uh, snake oil salesmen. They'll do anything in their power to, to trick you. But tricking people often is because it's based on some sort of truth. Now, just because it means we can't become... You know, Professor X and get this beautiful mental power that we're all going to, you know, gain to some level of super consciousness and ascend into energy. No, man, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's a nice dream. I definitely sign me up for that. <laughs> but um, even just improving a little bit throughout your life and growing and expanding the mind is, is a noble pursuit too. So using imagination... I, I really suggest when you meditate to actually think about it. Think about when you're, when, when you're, for example, breathing in, you're breathing in all the energy of the universe and then it mixes within yourself and you breathe it back out, like breathe out the bad or just expand your mind and think about people, right? That's uh, almost like love meditation or mindfulness meditation. Try to astral project yourself in the sense of imagine that you're in a park right now, surrounded by friends and loved ones, and people are uh, playing volleyball, having picnics, and you know, kids are all playing together and socializing, and the parents are sitting back and you know, having a cooler or something. And then bring it back inside. Focus on yourself. Focus on your mind. Focus on your uh, on, on your blood flow. Feel the blood flowing through your your veins. Just focus right focus exterior focus interior and breathe and focus on your breathing and come back to your breathing whenever your your mind slips from it because you'll see that after a minute or two you're not thinking about your breathing anymore your mind slipped something triggered you you thought about something it's come and then you're like oh wait i should be breathing again come back to breathing that's just my 
my tip on meditation. I meditate pretty much every night, right? It's something I, I do, I practice, and people tell me they have a hard time meditating. And you have to find a way that works for you. But like anything else in life, it takes practice, right? You have to start, you have to keep trying. And breathing really is the, the gateway into it. If you're not focusing on your on your breathing, it's going to be very hard to meditate. As they say in Art of Peace, quiet the chatter of the voices of our minds and try to speak with the voice of peace, mercy, grace, understanding, love. Again, we're all dualistic beings. And you know, we have you know, we have forces in us that desire and crave to create, those that wish to uh, destroy to be able to create differently, right? But we also have parts of us which we know are not in line with our, our character, in line with our, our beliefs of right and wrong or what's true or what's valuable. So while meditating, when things come to your mind, if you push them aside and don't try to focus on them, don't let them manifest. Um, anything that you don't pay attention to can just risk growing, right? It's what governments have done all throughout time is ignore a rising situation, problems that are happening, imagining they're just not going to happen or they'll happen to somebody else. And then boom, something happens, a war breaks out, a pandemic breaks out, uh, anything. So the idea in the art of peace, talking about light and breath of life, so, while, so, of course, you're breathing. At the same time, the idea of light is to let yourself see whatever it is that, that comes, to shed light in all corners of your mind, right? Because dark is, is an illusion. It's there even if you don't see it, right? Even the dark energy and, and dark matter, every, every antimatter, things that we can't detect, can't see, we know are there, but they're just not interacting with light, with photons, well, it's still there. It's an illusion. Just because we can't see it, just because we can't measure it, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It's not there. Same thing in our mind. So even if we have something inside of us, if we are just ignoring it, it's still there. It still has power. It can, it can grow. Bad ideas can fester like mold. And once the mold dissipates, right? once you shine light on it and you don't let mold grow there and you, you see it and, and you move on from it, you move past it, you can use that emptiness to create with the light of the warrior, right? And like a virus, that thought will likely reemerge. It's nothing's absolute. It's some part of it likely will remain, maybe never to manifest itself again. Maybe under certain circumstances, it'll pop up because you're, uh, you're spiraling down towards old ways and you're starting not to think about it anymore. And it grows. That's why it's important to constantly practice meditation in, in some way, whatever way you need to. It's not, it's not like a one, a one, one time, one off and things are done, right? It's just a way of living. Meditation shouldn't just be something you use reactively. It should be proactive, like we talked about before, right? Think about little things more often. You can handle smaller little problems that come up in your, in your head much easier than you can tackle an iceberg. So in the end, you use that energy from the destruction of, of, of the mold of the, the, the negative that was there to create something anew. From destruction comes creation. And so even if something grows that's 
not useful. That's the nice thing, nice thing about life, right? But biology is that it, that gets reused to create something. And in the end, you cleanse yourself of maliciousness, like they say in the, in, in the book. And you cleanse the senses. Now, that's something I, I'm really looking forward to. Unfortunately, due to COVID-19, I couldn't go and try out the um, sens sensory deprivation tanks they have at Ovarium uh, in downtown Montreal. But that's definitely something I'm going to try afterwards because being able to eliminate as much noise as you can, noise in terms of any information coming into the brain, the more you can have that true reflection, the true stirring of the mind. More is not always necessary, necessarily better. Having a lot of information bombarded at you doesn't help you make a better decision, a wiser decision. It just gives you information. It's what lawyers do, at least in TV shows. Uh, maybe any lawyers out there can, can comment uh, on, on it, but they send over thousands of documents and briefs and things that just swamp them with paperwork. It's the same thing. If you swamp yourself with paperwork, how are you supposed to listen and work with it? You know, you have to have a clean working space, cleanse the senses, which means all of our physical and even mental senses. Let's end this with a discussion on the essence of the warrior, the main goal, if you will. And it's to focus on your own actions and not the right and wrong way of others. To listen to teachers, to listen to tradition, to listen to innovation, to embrace all. And remember that we all have a different path and things to learn. Be sincere, never stop training. Use the one to strike the many. The chatter, the, the, the opponents, the, that which is working against you, the counter forces, right? The forces that you don't want to be active right now. If almost if you could set your brain like an operator sitting in a control room of a plant, right? What are your set points? What are your, what are your variables? What are your control variables, right? How, how are your loops set up? How urgent are things? When do alarms come off? Because again, like information, too many alarms can confuse an operator and lead to more accidents. It reduces safety and productivity, availability of, of a plant, let's say. And by that, I mean like a process plant, an industrial plant. So the way of the warrior is not just in words, it's not in words. It's to live it. It's to grasp the essence we said before and move on. And that sounds great. That sounds fantastic. I, I, I love it. Sign me up. How? <laughs> How do we do it? Well, essentially deep learning and valor or character, if you will. So it's your own practice, your own learning. Uh, do things. Uh, test yourself, as we talked about before. Try different things. Try acting different ways. Not insincerely, but try to explore different faces that you have. I think about the, the, the kids, the kids movie inside out. What are they trying to teach the kids? You have an anger in your head. You have a happy in your head. You have a sad in your head and they're all important. And all of them have their own memories and blah, blah, blah. If you erase them, it changes your perception of, of reality. 
It's a kid's movie. <laughs> Kids are being taught this. And I feel like adults don't know these general basic concepts, right? Uh, let's even think about split personality disorder for a second. And, and, and I, I don't know a lot about it. And I don't want to be insensitive to anybody who has it. But if somebody can be like that, if somebody can have split personalities, is it not logical to reason that it's there's a spectrum that we all have? That maybe some of us are very one-minded and some of us are so multi-minded that uh, there's so many different subroutines in our brain conflicting and, and, and states of being that it actually it splits. I know it's trauma and it splits and whatever, but it's possible for the brain to do that. So why can it not naturally have that sort of state to it, right? It has the ability to be that way. So while we practice understanding the different fundamentals of what drives us, what our character is made of, right? Those, those different stories, you know, you could almost tell your, your story by giving clips of your life in three or four different ways and show a very different life um, from, from all the different aspects. You know, maybe you were great in a stalwart at work and somebody could say that you were the best work person ever, you know, Hey, Don Draper was amazing at the uh, Mad Men, right? Uh, I'm not hope I don't give any spoilers, but he was great. Uh, and what he did, super creative, not, not the best, not the best father or uh, husband. I mean, I'm not saying it's his fault. Yeah, he has a very difficult, tragic past. But still, if you show the story of just his work, he would be like Harvey Specter in suits. He'd be a, a king. <laughs> but instead, he's shown in a way that it's more about his family and, and that aspect of how he is like that. We all wear different hats. We all have different roles. And we all are different people in different situations. So the more we can understand this through our deep practice and learning, the, the, the more we'll be able to live the way of the warrior, in a sense, by that deep learning, our own practice of ourselves. But also with our interactions with others, we have to walk the path and live it. They talk about valor as being the sword of purification, the mirror of bravery, and the wisdom. And friendship. That also go along with that bravery as well, right? The mirror is bravery, wisdom, and friendship, as well as the jewel of enlightenment. I really like the way they talk about that because I can connect with it. I, I, yes, purification sounds good and everything, but I don't know. I kind of like the, the, the way they talk about that in terms of, you can imagine it, right? It's, it's an easy thing to connect with. And if you can connect with it, well, it's easier to make it mean something, actually imagining a you know, I almost imagine a link from Zelda with a sword of purification, a jewel of enlightenment. I don't know what that would do, but it sounds beautiful. But what does it mean? Essentially, it boils down to the virtues of bravery, love, wisdom, and friendship. The bravery to be courageous and have authenticity. To do the right thing, to be virtuous. Now this takes unification. It's essentially a self-sacrifice and a trust in the power of love. And love is compassion, empathy, emotional support and protection. It's a halt to contention and strife as they say in the book. 
and it has many forms. We all have different ways of showing love, and that's very hard to understand. Love means something different, but even though there's different paths, it still leads to the one same mountaintop, right? Empathy, compassion, support, caring, uh, willingness to, to put one's, or the bravery to put another person's well-being in front of your own. Much easier said than done. Friendship. Right? Friendship is interesting that they separated love and friendship. I see friendship as being the same thing as love in a sense. But I guess friendship can be just be the desire to help. Not necessarily compassion, empathy, and support. And and I guess more perspective. But friendship is the, the act Whereas love is the feeling, the desire to help, to teach, and to learn from others, to inspire them. You have to play, to play as well, to challenge. And challenging people is, is very important. I, as much as I really don't want to be challenged, I really wish I did want to be challenged. Because in school, yeah, they, they, they made us read things and we had to, to, to learn uh, subjects we didn't want to learn when some of us, you know, followed it more than others but the fact that we had to do something the fact that there was this 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 somewhat of a pressure uh, it, it helped right and that's what friends can do friends can challenge each other oh, okay well uh, maybe i'll uh, take you on in a game of basketball and then oh <laughs> i have to up my skills or you have to present something to somebody you have to do a uh, a show, play, play, play a guitar for your friend. Say, hey, uh, next month I'm going to play guitar for you. Have the courage to do that. And, you know, friends can push each other to do it, to, 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 to aspire to something greater. It's, it's economy. It's the sharing of goods and love and sincerity. And finally, wisdom is experience and ability to regulate your own forces. It's your homeostasis takes hours, years of practice with anything you want to do. And far too often I, I feel as if we in society I guess don't believe we can we can change because we just give up on, on something like meditation. It's so such an easy, simple thing to do, and yet we give up on it. We give up on trying sometimes. Anyways. I think that if you focus your intent and your will on love, which isn't always easy, you can live the way of the warrior. A samurai, as described in the book, is someone who adheres to the power of love. So try to be a samurai in the way of discipline, in the way of caring for your environment uh, for your your friends, your loved ones, for yourself, for your future, for the future of us all. There's a lot more to this book. I could probably talk for days and days on end, digging into each line, almost poem in the book. If you read it, and I hope you really do read it, every page you could digest and just think about and go through two or three thought experiments and reflect on 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 what meaning it might have but let's not forget to 
as, as good as it is to, to think and to meditate, if we're not acting and giving ourselves new information on which our brain can digest overnight and we can reflect upon consciously during meditation, then it's going to be very hard to learn, right? And just by seeing things that you don't see on a, on a day-to-day basis, like that dart I was telling you about before, uh, things go through a rotation. My, my friend talked about it like that. I can't take credit for it. He talked about things as just being... Our brain is like a Rolodex. It's like uh, something on rotations, a filing system. And the things that have you know, almost had more energy recently in our brain, we've seen, we've thought about, you know, uh, come up more. A friend that we see again, all of a sudden we haven't seen in years, we're going to start having memories pop up of them. So if we really want to investigate certain things in our mind, we need to feed (laughs) more information, not necessarily more information, but better information, just like good eating habits. Uh, If you want to aspire to something, you have to have better hygiene. Uh, the more you think about it, it just becomes your reality. That's why half the time in my podcast, I'm going to talk about uh, science, movies, science fiction, uh, comic books, video games, because that's what I'm into. I love entertainment. I love uh, creation and creativity. I'm not the most creative person, but damn, I I really appreciate a lot of uh, the good stuff that's up there. It's interesting. So feed your mind well, feed your body well, and please, everybody, stay safe these days. I, I know uh, social distancing is, is lightening up. I, I don't want to make too many comments about it, but just the general note to, in all aspects of your life, like that safety pyramid we talked about before, it's very important to just be conscious of the little, little things sometimes. Wash, wash your hands. Um, you know, if, 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 you, if you think uh, if, in anything in life, if you think that, there's an a unacceptable risk. Well, mitigate it. Uh, talk about it. Uh, reflect on it. Like we said before, if you put it outside of your mind, it'll be outside of your mind. But if you keep looking at it, you take note of it, even in small little steps, laugh about something big and say, oh, oh no, I did that thing again. I shouldn't have done it. Just keep telling yourself that in a joking way. Repetition, repetition. And then and, and we'll get there. So stay safe, everybody. All my love. Namaste.